0: Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.
1: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simenchov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on Israel News Talk Radio.com. Very exciting. A little beep in the background. Very excited to be with you this morning. And I'm apologizing in advance. Uh, The engineer commented that there was like background noise, that you're going to hear the noise of construction. (laughs) This is the noise of, for better or for worse, the new Jerusalem. The building is insane for all of our enemies who are planning on pushing us into the sea. Apparently, the government engineering departments have not received the message They are building. They are building hotels. They are building malls. They are building, I would like to tell you that they're building more medical schools, but I'm not really hearing that so much. But (laughs) commerce, building, crazy. And we who are living in these more modest neighborhoods are being sandwiched in, sandwiched in, and you might hear the sounds of construction. Okay? So say you heard it here first. Um. Okay, so I was thinking to myself, you know, this really is the countdown, the countdown to clean, the countdown to new, the countdown to bracha, to blessings. As we are standing at the cusp of this new year, you know, the the days are rapidly, well, those of you who are like me of a certain age, the days really do. We just had Rosh Hashanah, I think it was four months ago. So um, I was thinking to myself, you know, do we call next week's show tefillah, which is the, the the Hebrew word for prayer, but let me use the Hebrew because we have that little alliteration vibe, tefillah or terror. So, you know, I know that there are so many people. I grew up with this idea of, um, you know, this is a terrifying time, a frightening time, that we stand before the gates of heaven and we shake with fear because of the verdict that awaits us. And I must tell you, I can't do it. I can't do that fear thing because Hashem, you know, is our parent, our ultimate parent. And we see the outcomes. We see it in society's newspapers. We see it in documentaries. What happens to children who don't? feel safe. Well, we're no different. The ideal parent, who is the ideal parent? Help me, send me your definitions. But I think of the ideal parent as one who both loves and chastises, guides and cherishes and feels pride for the product of that guidance. God is not different. In a sense, God is the epitome, the definition of that kindness, of the the cherishing, and of the chastisement. There's nothing to be frightened of. Clean hands, clean hearts, clean soul, clean intention, clean motivation. It will all be good. Let's have our quick romperoo moment right now. And we're going to say, wow, it's night. It's nighttime after midnight in the United States and in Canada, listening in. Glad to see you guys. Bokeh Toveretz Israel. Isn't it cold this morning, guys? It's very chilly here in Israel in the morning. UK is with us today. Wow, it's been some week for the UK, huh? Brazil is with us. Egypt is with us this morning. Nice to see you guys Wow, here is Korea with us, haven't seen Korea in a while, and Germany is with us this morning. Anyone else joining in, I'm sure the engineers will let me know and I will give out the shout out. Interesting, I'm seeing Germany and it's reminding me that I happen to have had as clients this week, several clients, several women, ironically, German, two women in particular, and they were both... Well, one had already finished her conversion to Judaism, and the other one was in her the process. And I was thinking, how eye opening, how deliberate. It was so much fun and enlightening to speak to these women whose families, for the most part, uh, some were embracing, um, some, some's decision uh, has put further strain on already strained relationships. But everybody was fascinated, if not thinking that they were crazy. And I have to tell you, it was very humbling because as a uh, born Jewish, Jewish from birth, (laughs) Jewish not by choice, Jewish by, (laughs) by fact of my birthright, I take a lot for granted. I forget the glory, the deliberateness, the, the choices that we are given and we get sloppy about by these two glorious women who were with me today uh, this week. So it was very nice. Also, before we go to the break, I want to actually we save all the religious stuff, the heavy-duty religious stuff, generally for the end of the show. But I wanted to just throw this out because the show is extremely into it and I have no secrets. And I'm going to the doctor after the show today. I have a problem with my foot this is important. Why is this important? Well, this little problem in my foot, my foot's not swollen, but the pain, I lay in bed at night and it throbs. I know exactly when it started and some days it's better and some days it's worse. It's terrible. And I think Of When people sit and say, you know, what's the difference between Judaism and other religions? There's nothing that Yiddishkeit, Judaism, that does not touch. And I'm thinking about this terrible pain in my foot that must be addressed. Uh, I hope the doctor is, you know, not doctor. I hope he's not a part-time butcher. Anyway, we say a prayer. Um, it is in our doors our daily prayer books, but most people who are observant know this prayer by heart, although I know that uh, everyone, most people raising children have it hanging outside of their bathroom. And it's a prayer that we say for after using the bathroom, and... Um, we wash our hands, and and um, it says, I'm going to translate it. It's so beautiful in the Hebrew, but it says, you know, Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has fashioned man with wisdom, created him with many openings and many cavities. It is obvious and known before your throne of glory that if but one of them were to be ruptured or one of them were to be blocked, it would be impossible to survive and stand before you. Blessed are you, Hashem, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. I think about this. A little pain in my foot. My house looks like a disaster. I can't fold the laundry. I'm sitting rather than standing and doing. Any woman or man who has suffered from a urinary tract infection realizes one little itty-bitty pipe. Very scary, very um, eye-opening, and this really is the season of deliberateness. Okay, came across a new term. Somebody sent me a new term. I loved it. It's called ignorant. Okay, don't confuse it with ignorant, and um, it's part ignorant, part arrogant. It's called ignorant. The definition is people who are extremely ignorant yet are simultaneously extremely arrogant. And, of course, the the example I use are people who think they know more about science and scientists. I guess they're talking about armchair nutritionists and all that. All right. Um, interesting. We'll get rid of some of the Israel eye-opening news today. Um Came across an article. I can't tell you where. Uh, one of the things I do want to jump in here and say, if anything I refer to, any article I quote, that you're curious as to the actual source, drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I will send you the link to my original source. I don't make this stuff up, boys and girls. Anyway, there was a. I, I can't tell you what it might have been. Times of Israel, but don't quote me. An article came out that said. U.S. is Israel's closest friend, but even friends need reality checks sometimes. And um, this week, Prime Minister uh, Minis- Prime Minister Yair Lapid, I can't really say that because it's going to be so rapid in and out, but he said on Wednesday, uh, I like this comment, no one will dictate to us our rules of engagement when we are fighting for our lives. And the comments were made in response to the U.S. questioning Israel's rules of conduct following the publication of a conclusion of an Israeli probe which determined that a stray IDF bullet likely killed Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu-Akhla. We have gone over that story ad nauseum, but I think it's a critical point to understand and drive home friends, true friends, friends can disagree. We don't have to march in lockstep And we here, this is not a game we're playing in this corner of the world. We literally are fighting for our lives every day of the week. And it's very easy for those whose own hands aren't so clean to sit and judge us for what we do and the efficacy of our probes. And, um, you know, be careful, friends. Don't cross the line. Um, Let's see here. And oh my gosh, the program races, races, we're running to, uh, yeah, came across, I have to tell you, I'm telling you friends, American Jews, you must get your heads out of the sand. I guess this is the American segment. Vermont, the, 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 what is it? The golden child of liberalism. Isn't Bernie Sanders from Vermont? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Apparently, there are now investigation into anti-Semitism at the University of Vermont. And of course, they all use the same crapola language. You know, UMV seeks to foster a culture of inclusiveness. Anyway, anybody who who expresses a view that is pro-Israel or pro-Zionist is now at risk for failing courses, being exempt from clubs, being outed and outed. Uh, are you Jewish are screaming rock throwing students really friends I'll send you the link we're going to go to a break but keep your eyes open and stop pretending it has nothing to do with you see you on the other side And we're back. Andrea Simintov pull up a chair, pull up a futon, pull up a pull up a stool. Um, and you are listening to IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Doesn't get better than that. I'm laughing. I'm listening to the sounds of these. Dr- you, I, I don't even know. This country is so small. And wherever you look, you see these massive cranes with terrible, you know, Teuton names and um, it's madness. And then, of course, those of you who are listening very carefully, you all heard the sound of my locked up dog barking. She's behind four walls and you still could hear it. But you know what? Israel News Talk Radio. We are nothing if not real. It's a Jewish thing. Okay, um, So much news. So much news. So little time. This I'm not going to talk about because it does not shed a good and chipper Jewish... Oh, yeah. Okay. So we're coming up to the Chagim, the holidays. Anybody who loves Jews and loves Israel and is remotely holiday aware knows that there is a tension in the air, there's a buzz in the air, and we go right from the season of summer into standing before the gates of heaven. And you know what? The stores are starting to fill with the most beautiful pomegranates and fruits and wine packages. And believe me, the advertisers are out full force seducing us to separate ourselves from our hard-earned and indeed harder-earned money these days. Inflation has nobody is... um, Nobody is exempt from what is happening financially, monetarily, in the world. So I'm just going to take just a little moment, quick, quick, and throw out a few ideas to those of my friends who are preparing for the holidays. Because there is something called—I've heard—I love this term. It's a—it's a it's a chagim uh, money hangover, a holiday money hangover. And what happens is we tend to overspend because. I don't know. Do we think that it's something that God wants? You know, I don't think so because if we make a lovely home, if we make a beautiful Shabbos and we are more involved in the act of prayer and teshuva, repentance, believe me, the food is the food, the family sitting around the table, the joined spirits, the joined hope, the joined delight, and the joined expectation is far more important than the obscene abundance that occasionally um, accompanies our celebrating. So it says, you know, when someone says that... um, you know, we say in Israel, there's a very big, there's a term. We all know, anybody who speaks Hebrew knows the term, after the holidays, we'll pay it after the holidays. We'll get together after the holidays. We'll read it. We'll review it. We'll do it. And so when someone says that, it means that we'll deal with a particular task when it's all over. And of course, the two biggest periods are, um, you know, the Yomim Noorim, the Tishrei holidays and Pesach. But you know what? Getting our finances in order, not pushing ourselves against a wall and really crippling ourselves. So what do our children see? What do our mishpacha, our family see? What do our neighbors see? Instead of somebody who's relaxed and expectant and joyous and cleansed and healing, they see someone who is crazed and frightened and looking at the acharei hachagim period not as a period of, of, of health and joy, but as a period of, oh my gosh, repair. So I'm encouraging everyone to now, today, after the show, really, if you have an appointment, cancel it, and say, Andrea said, after the show, make yourselves, make yourselves a shopping list, okay? Make yourselves, not just a shopping, make yourselves a menu. We have, for those living in the diaspora, there are two, de- well, we all have two days, Rosh Hashanah, but there's two second days. Make yourself a menu, Look through your cabinet, see what you have, your good cooks, your loving cooks. You know, don't go crazy. If you don't eat it during the year, you don't need to eat it now other than an additional honey cake. You know, if you get gift cards, use it. Also, look in your closets. You know, anybody who's listened to this show knows I am crazed about the conspicuous consumption that affects every single one of us in today's society. Cheap clothing, disposable clothing is absolutely, to me, tantamount and equivalent to disposable relationships. See what you have in your closet. See what's wearable. Believe me, if the suit still fits, wear it. Okay, was that a little O.J. Simpson thing going on? You know, you want to dress it up with a new scarf, a new pair of costume earrings, go for it. But don't spend because that's the way we did it when I was growing up. You know, sometimes we look at what we did when we were growing up. Take a moment, this is a coaching clue, and ask yourself, is this something I want to continue? All right, Uh, there are going to be sales all over the place. The sales are not necessarily good for you. If you didn't think you needed it before, you don't need it now. And also, the children are going to be off. Grandchildren are going to be off. Make a cup of tea. Go online. I know all the places in Israel. Forgive me. I'm woefully ignorant about um, the activities that are available overseas. But believe me, you don't have to spend a fortune on Experiences that dissipate the day after. Rather, find time, quality experiences, spend, teach your grandchildren over the holomoid periods. Teach them to knit, to crochet, to bake. Storytelling. You know, I'm a big storytelling fan. Let's go with it. Okay. That's just my, I care for you. You know, what is love? Caring for somebody else, wanting for everyone else what you want for yourself. And that is the love message that I can give out today. I want for you the same relaxation, the same joy, the same sense of shalom that I wish for myself. I wish for those who have actually taken the time to listen to this, both live and in podcast. All right. Hmm, I have something stuck on my watch. All right. Keep it real. Keep it real. Stand with us, organization here in Israel, reputable. I've seen only good stuff from Stand with us. I have no reason to doubt what they uh, what they came up with. And anyway, a study came out that says that in two thousand and twenty one, there's a Stand with us study. I don't know where they get these numbers. Over forty five percent of newly qualified doctors in Israel were. Israeli Arabs or Druze, got these numbers, 48% of pharmacists were Arabs. I think it's more, frankly, from my experiences, and 24% of nurses were Arabs. And it goes on to say, in this very politically correct piece, it says, Israel is the only country in the Middle East where coexistence is not just an idea, but an everyday reality. I threw this point, these numbers out to various friends, people I know. It was kind of surprising for us. And of course, this is being touted as a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm uncomfortable. I got to tell you something, I'm uncomfortable. Israel recently, under a lot of criticism, has decided to stop allowing foreign students to come into our medical schools because Israeli Jews are not finding places in medical schools and they're getting their studies overseas. It is not a secret to anybody who listens to this program that we have an Arab problem. We have a problem of people living among us who are hostile and hell-bent on destroying Israel from within. Coexistence you know, they say something, a melting pot or a tossed salad. Um, it also must be stated that, I'm not going to say the numbers because I don't think that these numbers are accurate, but a massive majority of Arab students in these programs, they qualify for and they receive scholarships, while the Jewish students have to work, take part-time jobs, defer their college educations in order to uh, foot the bill. Um And I also have to say that a massive percentage, perhaps in the 80% range, uh, I'd have to research it. Um, This is what came across my desk of Arab Israelis enjoy the freedom to live and they roam all over the country. There's a many places, many places we are not allowed to go to visit upon threat of death. So, you know, I see what they're doing. I get it. I'm a news person. I get the vibe, the PC stuff. It's a great thing, but I have to tell you this was my favorite line, Israel failing at apartheid since 1948. You know there are good Arab doctors. There are good Jewish doctors. However, this statement posted with great pride by Stand By Us in a sense sidelines Jewish contributions, Jewish values, and ultimately, I believe Jewish safety. Okay, uh, fast, quick. Apparently, they're making wine in the desert here, wine out of the Negev. I have it. I think I'm going to try to get a bottle for the Rosh Hashanah holiday and let you know. This was a New York Times article that came out. New Vineyards in the Negev Desert. This show could be four hours with all the news stories I have. And the other thing I do want to say in a woohoo moment before we get to our break is apparently there's a new Israeli blood test that is showing great promise in detecting pancreatic and colorectal cancers. Unbelievable. Woohoo, this country. Um, The study is coming from which hospital? a good one a good israeli hospital okay and um before we go to the break let me share this with you the worst feeling isn't being lonely it is being forgotten a perfect segue into our holy devar torah section guess what guys see you on the other side And we're back, we're back, we're back. Andrea Simonov, pull up a chair on Israelnewstalkradio.com. I'm just looking at these last notes. No, we're going to keep this the holy section. I was going to just sort of catch up with a few stories that I wanted to share that I found interesting. Um, but, huh, I guess we won't do them today. So before we go into this, I do want to remind I have a mailing list that I do send a monthly article, uh, just monthly thoughts generally upbeat and if you'd like to be on that mailing list please feel free to drop me a note uh andrea at radio.com and in the subject line write the term mailing list okay you could do that so this is i'm keeping my mouth very close to the mic because i'm telling you this building <laughs> hotels we need more hotels here that's what we need um So this is, this is, hold on, where are we? So this Parsha, wait a second, forgive me. I'm just, I'm all over. I'm looking at my notes here and I think I'm missing something. Stay with me, stay with me. Oh, I see what I did. Okay. So this Parsha is called Kitavo and it is the first fruits Parsha. And we're going to go. Like, what do we? What is this? A first fruits? And I'm particularly sen- uh, sensitive to the idea of first fruits because, as we all know, this was the year of Shemitah, where we're ending the year where our fields lay fallow, where they were open for the world to take the fruits, and farmers, with exceptions, with certain halachic legal exceptions, were um, not. Let them lay. Did not. Uh, did not farm. So anyway, God's judgment. Let's just um, work our way up to that. God's judgment and policies are correct. You know, my favorite. My favorite non-Jewish bumper sticker. I talk about all the time. It said, "God said it. I believe it. That settles it." So anyway, God's judgment and policies are correct. Exquisitely so. But they're beyond human understanding and rationalization too many people sit and say well you know i'll do that mitzvah when i understand it i don't understand it so it doesn't belong to me and that's an inaccurately it's a jewishly inaccurate way of thinking the mitzvahs are to be observed if we have some kind of an insight that gives us greater clarity or makes us feel more enriched well, you know, whoop de doo that's good stuff. But it's not for us to pick and choose. It's not a, you know, one of those um, steakhouse menus, one from this column, one from you know that. The Torah demands, it does demand rational thought. The expectation is that we are rational people. It demands analysis. It demands interpreting laws and the value system. And in essence, it's obvious that it, you know, has to be dealt with. It's not that blind faith, um, and we are not chamor, we are not donkeys, but rather chomer, pure material to grow and to be, you know, and expand ourselves. You know, we have a great example of Rabbi Akiva, who saw in the destruction of the temple and the terrible scenes of cruelty that the Romans. Um, wrought against the Jews the seeds of rebirth and resilience among our people. It's one of the greatest mysteries of nature. We talk about it all the time. I mean, there is no logical reason that Jews should exist on this earth. Um, it's a mystery of nature that destruction is always part of rejuvenation and renewal. Rabbi Wine refers to the raging and most destructive forest fire, somehow preserves and guarantees the growth of new, greater, and more verdant forest. So there's an interesting interpretation of the well-known verse in Kohelet. We know the Kohelet, Safer Kohelet. Quote, a generation departs and a gen- generation arrives and the earth survives forever. So aside from the usual understanding of the verse in regard to human mortality and the unchanging state of the world and its challenges, this verse can be viewed as teaching us another critical lesson, namely, it's only because of the departure of one generation and the consequent renewal caused by the arrival of another generation that the world is able to survive and remain vital going off script, it does indeed remind me of our exodus and um, and the turnover, the generational turnover in the Midbar, in the Jewish, you know, for the Jewish people. So it begs the question as to why God created nature and the world with such a pattern. Um, perhaps, according to Rabbi Wine, it signifies this eternal path of the Jewish people historically as being both in line with nature's pattern of eternity itself so just as nature with its shockingly destructive forces nevertheless it guarantees the eternity of the world this parsha guarantees the survival of the Jewish people um Regarding, you know, I wrote down in my notes, I I write these crazy notes, and sometimes I have trouble um, deciphering them. (laughs) Good, Andrea. You know, two cups of coffee and some herbal tea to detonate the effects of the coffee. Um, I wrote regarding the cost of being Jewish. But I think what I really meant was there's a difference between cost and price or cost and value. I often say... Too often I run across people who know the the price of everything but the value of nothing. And I think about this like in notes to pre- potential converts with whom I had a lot of interaction this week, a lot of holy interaction. So the explicit descriptions of the disasters, personal disasters, national disasters that make up a large portion of this week's, um, you know, a large uh, of this week's. Torah reading, they raise certain issues. I mean, like, why do Moshe and the Torah paint such a harsh, such a brutal, unforgiving picture of the Jewish future before the people? You know, and if we expect people to glorify, celebrate their Jewishness, is this a way to sell the product, so to speak? Bad PR. You know, we all support the concept of truth in advertising, but in this parsha, this portion, you know, maybe there's like a little overkill. So the fact that the description of much jewish history and the horrifying events that are expounded in this parsha they're accurate prophecy fulfilled to the to the utmost to the nth degree but it compounds the difficulties that are mentioned that i mentioned above but in truth you know there's really a clear reason for these descriptions we read in this book of devarim that god poses the stark choices before the Jewish people, life or death, uniqueness or conformity, holiness or ordinary. Life is made up of choices, and most of them are difficult and fateful. What is it that we say? Just because something is difficult doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. Sugarcoating the consequences of life's choices This is what makes us strong, makes us wise. Worse, you know, without making the difficult choices, it erodes any true belief or sense of commitment to the choice that is actually made. You know, without the necessary commitment, and I'm really speaking to my born-to-the-faith brothers and sisters, the choice itself over time really can become kind of meaningless. The Torah tells us That being a Jew requires courage, commitment, a great sense of vision and eternity and deep self-worth. I'm thinking about the boys and girls attending the University of Vermont who are frightened and thinking of dropping out because they're in the crosshairs. The Torah has to spell out this downside, so to speak, of the choice in being Jewish. There's a folk saying that goes, it is difficult to be a Jew. Don't we know it? Thank you, Tevya. But you know, in the long run, it's even more difficult and painful eventually for a Jew not to be a Jew in practice, in thought, and commitment to have to get up, recognize one's Jewishness, but be disconnected and not know what we believe. According to Jewish tradition in halacha, a potential convert to Judaism is warned, warned by the rabbinic court of the dangers of becoming Jewish. He or she is told that Jews are a small minority persecuted by many, reviled by the majority. But the potential convert also sees the vision, the grandeur of Judaism, the inheritance of our father Avraham and our mother Sarah, and the sheltering wings of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, the God of Israel that guarantee our survival and our influence in the world. The potential convert is then asked to choose whether he, is, whether he or she is willing to truly convert to that project. Without the commitment, the entire conversion process is a sham and spiritually meaningless. And the commitment is not really valued if the downside, valid, sorry, valued. Was that Freudian? Valued or valid if the downside of being Jewish is not explained and detailed. Someone who does not convert according to Jewish law, in my opinion, has been cheated lied to, and ultimately injured. Judaism is not a fair weather friends or soldiers on parade. I love that Rabbi Wine's phrase. The new phrase in the sporting world is that the players have to grind it out. Well, perhaps being Jewish is just that, grinding it out for a lifetime. The positive can absolutely outweigh the negative the negative is known, if the wegeti- negative is defined, touched, faced. Those who look for an easy faith, a religion that demands nothing, who commit to empty phrases but are never willing to pay the price of practice, adherence, discipline, they're not going to pass the test of time and survival that being Jewish has always required. And sadly, that goes for those who were born Jewish as well. So I want to go back. Okay, can you hear the segue? The subtle segue? You know, I want to go back for just a moment. I left you with that heavy-duty stuff. We'll make it more labor-dick now, a little lively. Um, When looked at logically, you know, why should the appearance of the first fruits, I mean, why should it consist of such unrestrained joy and thanksgiving. You know, I've talked about this in other years, but I've got to revisit it. Hey, we read the Torah, let's revisit some of the things that absolutely gobsmacked me. You know, after all, in the agricultural society of the Beit Hamigdash, the Holy Temple, you know, the ripening of fruits and crops, it was expected, it was given for them not to have a robust, um, a robust yield. This was This was aberrant. You know, we took for granted that we would be rewarded. And like the sun's rising day in and day out, the wonderment of the blooming of the first fruits should have been dulled through its repetitiveness, expected, you know, expectations. But instead, we find an eagerness, an exhilaration, boundless, crazy joy dancing in the streets in celebrating God's bounty. So in contrast, and it goes back to what we were just talking about, the love and the deliberation of the convert, we have witnessed a phenomenon in modern-day Jewry that has been loosely described. I don't know if it's so loosely, but it's called the FFBs. I can see so many people in Israel nodding their heads. What is FFB? From, from birth. From is a uh, Yiddish term for religious. Sounds better. From from birth, as opposed to the Shuva, the BTS, the Shuva are those what we say they they return to Torah practice, and so they're usually someone whose um, the FFB is usually someone whose religious practices and beliefs are an inherited birthright. They're comfortable as old moccasins, and they're treated as such in my opinion, way too often. And having grown up in a religious environment, the mitzvahs, the commandments are very often performed, what is the word, how do you say, perfunctorily? Um, You know, out of habit and tradition, rather than out of a real sense or feeling of Ahavas Yisrael, loving, you know, loving uh, Ahavas Torah, loving of Torah, Torah living and learning can be, sadly, taken for granted, accorded the same reverence and awe shown the rising and the setting of the sun, a mindless event. And through mindless repetition, the meaning and appreciation of each mitzvah has the potential to be, sadly, lost. This is the lesson that Bikorim, the first fruits, comes to teach us. The Torah should always be new in our eyes so that we fulfill it with eagerness and a keen desire. The pomp and ceremony connected with the bringing of the first fruits served, um, served a positive purpose. It wasn't an annual parade to be checked on the calendar. It was to irradiate this mitzvah with all the beauty that its deep significance demanded to emphasize the fundamental truth that this ritual, bringing the first fruits, had to declare to the Kohen, I am affirming to Hashem that I have come to the land Hashem swore to our fathers to give us. In saying, I, and not my forefathers, we are affirming that we cannot take God and the Torah for granted as something bequeathed to us by those who came first. This is the consciousness that should always kind of remain vivid within us, especially at this time of year when we have so much going on. B'Korim teaches us that we should not, we must not allow ourselves to be dulled by custom, by tradition or habit. We should receive with gladness and wonder the lessons that this season offers us. And above all, we should allow its new harvest of awareness of Hashem and His Torah to blossom and ripen within us. We're all preparing. It's Thursday morning. I can't imagine doing this show at another time if it weren't Thursday morning because we have to feel the Torah vibe. So with that, as we prepare our Shabbos tables and what we're going to say, I know that I am going to read out loud everything that I read to you this morning and that I covered with you this morning, plus all those things that I didn't. Poor Ronnie, poor Ronnie. That's the husband. But I want to give you something to talk about at your Shabbos table that I hope to uh, cover with those who are sitting around with me, my Shabbos guests. So, commenting on the parsha, this comes from a say a sefer, a book. Hold on, I have to take a sip. Excuse me a moment. Mm. I think I became a little too passionate in that last section. Okay, this comes from a, a sefer called Golden Apples. It's so funny, I don't have it any longer, but I can absolutely, I can see the cover of this, uh, of this book. It's, it was a kind of a thin book, very nice. Col- Golden Apples, Parables of the Ben Ish Chai, And uh, I'm sure you can get it online somewhere. I'm saying that for you, Todd. Okay, commenting on this Parsha from this book, Um, And you shall rejoice in all the good with Hashem, your God, which Hashem, your God, has given you. Harav Moshe Sternberg says, the Torah is making us aware that all the good with which one possesses is of no value if he takes it only for himself and does not share it equally with those less fortunate than he when one is ready to share in the good which god has given he is when oh sorry my grammar is off when one is ready to share in the good which god has given he is truly in possession of all the good we learn from this pasuk this phrase that one must implant in his mind that whenever he that whatever he possesses is a gift from Hashem. This gift is given to him on the condition that he exercise his ownership over the property by sharing it with those who are less fortunate, therefore bringing bringing joy into their lives. Our discussion this week is to talk about this Torah exposition and the idea of sharing not only tzedakah, charity but our Torah knowledge. You know there are two types of repentance. Teshuvah. Teshuvah is repentance. Repentance from fear and teshuvah from love. Repentance from fear of punishment does not stand as high in God's eyes as does repentance from love for the creator. A person improves and purifies himself through repentance, sparked by love, because this transforms sins into merits. But our Yetzirah, the evil inclination, oh, it tries. It tries to prevent a person from achieving this kind of repentance. The Yetzirah loves fear. A person must first repent from fear before he can hope to strive for repentance through love since the Yetzirah is not as adamant in opposing the first form of teshuva, repentance. You know, when a treasure is hidden in a courtyard, the only way to get to that treasure is to first enter the courtyard. Repentance stemming from love is like a precious treasure that can only be obtained by first entering the courtyard, crossing over the threshold of fear of punishment. One who stands outside will never have the slightest chance to reach the treasure. Shabbat Shalom, U'mivorach, from Jerusalem.
0: Israel News Talk Radio's chat room